This is Changing the Rules, a podcast about designing the life you want to live. Hosted by Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Changing the Rules. I'm Casey Dempster, and I'm here with my co-host, Ray Lowe, in the wonderful Wildfire Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Woodbury, New Jersey. And spring has sprung. The trees are starting to bloom, and, and since I'm not somebody that suffers with allergies, I can enjoy it to the fullest. Good morning, Ray. <laughs> spring has sprung. Yeah. I remember a poem about uh, that. I, know, I knew you were going to say it. Spring has sprung, the grass is riz, I wonder where the birdies is. <laughs> so, so with that, how are you going to recover from that one? Well, I've heard it so many times, you didn't set me back with it. <laughs> okay, so we have with us yes. today one of the luckiest people in the world. And and it's interesting, you know, we're, we're getting a pattern here. And, and uh, we know that the luckiest people in the world are those people who kind of reinvent their lives, who, who sit down, they personally decide what it is they want to do, mm-hmm. they lay it out for themselves, and then they step into it and they live life the way they want to live. And there are some patterns that come up in terms of the kind of people that are likely to do this. I mean, it's available to everybody. Sure. But 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 some of it, you know, just kind of works its way into our lives. But you have to be willing at some point in time to change the rules. That's correct. And that's why we call this changing the rules. Yeah. And, and the problem with changing the rules is you actually have to change. That's right? correct. Okay. Yes. So we have a young lady today. Her name is I'm going to I'm going to worry about this. Clemence Scout. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And, and that's because I had lessons on this. Okay. And uh, Claymont is um, really has an interesting, interesting background. Yes. Okay. Yes. And she uh, is Philadelphia based and she writes memoirs for people. But there's so much more going on than that. Oh, it's incredible. It's, you know, the, it's, it's memoirs, but it's archiving documents. It's all kinds of things. So, so uh, Clemence, welcome to Changing the Rules and say hi Thank to everybody. You. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to be here with you guys. Okay, so, so um, let's go back into history. Mm. And, and the reason I want to do that is your background is so incredibly interesting and i think there's uh, some some things that we need to learn as to how your journey evolved into where you are now so you were born in the u.s is that correct that's right right here in philadelphia and here in philadelphia and then you became a foreign nationalist in a way right? <laughs> you, you, i did give up my citizenship. <laughs> well, you, you, I was 10. <laughs> you, you left us, right? And you moved to where? Well, my, um, my family <clears throat> moved to the suburbs of Paris. Oh, I'm so envious. <laughs> and, so, we so, had our very own castle in my little town. Oh, how wonderful. So, so okay, so uh, here you are. You spent the first so many years of your life here, and then you're kind of moved to a different country. And tell us a little bit about the experience of growing up overseas. Sure. So um, it was very different than here. I mean, talk about change, right? I, I was in a little lovey-dovey, everybody gets hugged and is a sweetie pie elementary school and, you know, in Bluebell, a lovely 
happy little place. And we moved to, uh, to France into the, and I put in the French school system and the French school system is very different than the American <laughs> school system. Uh, you march in two by two, you sit when you're told to sit, if an adult enters the classroom, you stand up without being told, right? These are all things that happen automatically. Um, and I didn't know any of those rules uh, and, uh, was kind of the only kid sitting when an adult stood in the room thinking, why is everybody standing up? <laughs> yeah. And so it was a big, big, big difference for me. Um, and for my parents too, but my mom was French. She, she got it. My dad was American. Uh, so lots of change early on in the life. Okay. So, so what do you consider your primary language or at least back then, what did you consider your primary language? Was it my French? English. English. My English has always been dominant, though during my high school years, it, you really think you're perfectly, I was perfectly bilingual. I still am perfectly bilingual, but it, it, my French has taken a hit now that I don't speak French anymore. Okay. Mm. So you grew up overseas and then you yes. came back to the U.S. You went to college here? Correct. Here in my hometown. In, in, in Philadelphia. You went to Penn, right? Yep. yep. And, and then actually you went back to... Paris? I did. My father died a few weeks before I graduated from college, and I felt it was important to spend some time back home with my mom. I didn't actually go to graduate school for the sake of going to graduate school. It was kind of something I did while I was back home, and um, which is a huge benefit of the French school system, of course, that you can just register for classes and you're in, basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. I always wondered what I, you know, we didn't really go into that. I didn't know how you got back to the Sorbonne. So that's pretty that's cool. That's how. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so now, now we get to the heart of the matter. You came, <laughs> you came back to, of all places, Boston, right? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> and you went into the car insurance business. Is that bizarre or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't meant to be my career. I mean, who do you know that actually grows up to say, you know, I've always wanted to work in car insurance? Well, you but, know, I have a lot of friends like that. Well, I have two cousins, but that's because their father had his own brokerage firm. So they went to an insurance college. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. But, Family business. Yeah. But part of this now, this this was actually a key point in your life, because I, I think you told me that you spent 17 years in the car business and you hated most of it. Is that <laughs> well? So I, I it was meant to be the job to pay the rent while I found a real job, um, and I stayed there for 15 years. And I didn't hate all of it. I will say it was a great place to learn and grow. It was a young entrepreneurial company. I was young and loved to learn, and so for a long time it was a very good fit. It just you know I don't care about car insurance. So at some point you really say to yourself, why am I devoting my you know all all the talents and energy I have to something I really don't care about. Mm, mm, yeah. Okay, so now now enter the next phase of your life because this kind of it just took you in the in in a direction that you capitalized. I'll just put it that way. I'm not sure it was the right direction initially, but you made it the right direction. So so what happened? You kind of migrated out of being in marketing and the car insurance, and you started working for the owner of the company in a different way. That's right. And this is, you know, when I hear you talk about uh, taking control of kind of the events of your life and, you know, make, making change happen as opposed to being the subject of change that others are imposing on you. This is where it really resonates because, um, so by now my mother dies and I'm not interested in car insurance and I'm thinking, well, you know, 
and I turn 40 and, you know, all the, and I don't live in Philadelphia, which is as far as I'm concerned, the greatest city in the nation and where I want to be. And so, you know, I had a, I felt I had a choice to make, like, was I going to keep plugging along in, in, in this industry of insurance or do something that excited me and that made me feel like I actually was a lucky person. Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes. And so I, I quit my job. Um, I emailed the founder of the company who I knew because, you know, it had been a small company once now it's quite large. And he said, wait, 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 don't go. I I have a a better idea. You're going to come and uh, work in philanthropy with me and run my corporate foundation here at the company, but also my personal family foundation. So huge pivot got very lucky, but I think that luck was due to me taking a huge risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where people stumble is that, that, that first step into the unknown is terrifying. Oh, yes. Yeah, and we're going to get into what you actually do now, which is where you wound up. But I, but I really think for the sake of our listeners, you know, we're all in this kind of a situation in life where we find ourselves often in places we don't want to be. And I think there was a Gallup poll out not too long ago that said something like 80% of people hate their stupid jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I'm not sure that they really hate their stupid jobs, but I, I think they don't like them, okay? Right, right. And, and, and they, they feel stuck because, like you said, it was a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So here you are, you've kind of, you know, worked your way into something. So, so tell us a little bit about the foundation uh, experience that you had and how it helped you to go into your next phase. Right. Cause I think you even controlled that. Did you not? A little bit. Yes. Let me just say one more thing before we move on, because I think your listeners might find it interesting. When I, when I did this, when I quit the job and I told everybody in the company, which by I'd been there for a dozen years already. So I knew a lot of people about a lot of people came up to me and about half of them said, Oh my gosh, I'm so envious. I could never do what you've done. I'm uh, because I'm terrified. And then the other half came up to me and said, you're nuts. You are absolutely nuts. This is going to fail. You're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the people to steer clear of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I understood what they were saying. I was afraid of failing too. Right. I mean, that's, that's the terror that you just mentioned, how terrifying it is. Right. Right. You know, it's, so anyway, so yeah, so, so now I'm in philanthropy and this was a, uh, another, uh, you know, thing I was grateful for. It was a hugely humbling experience. I had never been in a school that you have to walk through a metal detector to get in. I had never spent time in a housing project and your eyes are really opened, or at least mine were to, uh, <laughs> to what you knew intellectually had been a nice life, but you don't really understand the disparity until you actually see um, living conditions for people who have lives not as comfortable as yours. Mm-hmm. So your job was to give away money, basically, and, but, <laughs> yes. but to do it to people that were underprivileged, to people who didn't have what we were fortunate enough to have. They didn't grow up in Paris. <laughs> right, right. Although I will say we moved to France for financial reasons, but the, the, yes, the foundation and the, uh, Jim and Kathy focus a lot on education. So I spent a lot of time in schools, um, and with principals and teachers thinking about how to try and help kids, you know, do better in school, um, by, you know, various programs and projects and so on. Okay, so at some point in time, you severed your your relationships with the foundation and started your own business. Yes, 
well, so there you go again, this, this having jumped off the cliff and having someone catch me with this wonderful opportunity made me realize that jumping off cliffs actually is something you need to do (laughs) relatively often. (laughs) So I did it again. I spent three years, three wonderful years working, um, in this foundation stuff, but still I wasn't in Philadelphia, which is my dream. My dream was to come back to Philadelphia. And so, um, one of the things I had discovered in this job was that, um, people, uh, people, keep a lot of archives and personal documents and records, which I think we all know that intuitively that we all have archives and documents, but that there might be an opportunity as a job, as a business to help people, uh, organize those and save those properly. And also, um, transform them into, uh, books and other media that would be enjoyable for future generations. And so that's what I decided to do. But you started doing that with Jim and Kathy, correct? I, I did it. Yep. I started doing it with Jim and Kathy, these, these philanthropists, and that's what opened my eyes to it could, that it could be a business. Right. right. Because, um, you mentioned that every, we all have archives. I think that if you were to say that to most people, they would look at you like you were crazy because to me that, in, <laughs> that implies that it's organized. <laughs> I would say we all have, right. we all have documents and we all have photographs, <laughs> but they're not necessarily archives yet. It's called- Absolutely. It's called stuff. Stuff. <laughs> yes. We yes. have the opportunity to have archives. That's yes. right. Yes. Okay. So so here you are now. You're back in Philly, okay, with no paycheck, right? That's right. Okay. So so tell us what through your what went through your head and kind of what came first, you know, uh, that that was pivotal in making happen where we're eventually going here. Well, um I mean I I'm not sure how to answer that. It was, it was an idea that I had that I knew that this, you know, there was a demand for this type of services. I didn't understand that there are other people who already do this. I mean, I knew that like, if you're a Rockefeller or something, you have several archivists who work for you because your papers are so extensive. Um, but I didn't know that an everyday person would hire someone to write their memoir or to create a family history book for them based on their family stories. And so I, I, you know, did that for a friend's dad. I helped him write his memoirs as an experiment. Um, and once having done that, I thought, okay, well, actually this is going to be terrific. This is, this is, let's go. This is a business. Let's find more clients. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go back now into all the objections you get from people when you say to them, let me write your memoirs or let's write your memoirs. I mean, how many people actually sit down and say, I want to write my memoirs? (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people think it secretly. And then there are a couple, uh, concepts that derail them. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, and and they're all unfortunate because none of them are really legitimate they're, they're just irrational fears. So people think oftentimes that it's, it's narcissistic, that it's a total ego trip to write your memoirs. Um, and, and therefore it's not worth doing because you're going to be thought of as a, you know, as a belly button worshiper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's an interesting term. We're going to, we're going to, I I need to, I need to think on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so the ego ship, and and you have a blog on your website that's three myths that sabotage your legacy, and that's right. and, and that was one of them. Do you remember the other two, or do you need prompting? I because do. I read no, it this no. morning. <laughs> good, good homework, Ray. Um, 
the others are very close, closely connected. A lot of people feel that their life isn't that interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything special. I didn't invent anything. I didn't cure cancer. And therefore my life isn't worth recording. And, and I say, no, that's absolutely incorrect. Um, and if you think about it in terms of one of your ancestors, so for instance, would you like to read 50 or hundred pages that your grandfather wrote or your great grandfather wrote, even if that person had not done anything as so described as interesting, of course you'd like to read that document. Actually, it would be a treasured family heirloom. So why why is that not the case for you? It is, in fact. Yeah, I, I really think that that's the issue at heart. If you go back and you ask yourself the question, would I like to know more about my grandparents or my great parents? And and I think mine were all horse thieves, but uh, <laughs> but 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 they were interesting horse thieves. Well, sure. What's more interesting than that? <clears throat> yeah, and and so the idea is that if you can go back and ask that question to yourself and say, uh, do I want to know more about a relative that I had in the past or all my relatives? then why shouldn't you leave that legacy for your kids and your grandchildren? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they're going to these your kids love you and Mm -hmm. therefore they're going to love what you write. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. And and maybe they're not interested today. Right. Right. That's right. But I think they're interested. You know, I I was talking to somebody else a while ago, and I remember the comment coming up up that she wrote a a book about her father. And one day she walked in to tuck one of her kids in, and I think the kid was 10 or 11 years old, Mm -hmm. and found him reading the book about his grandparents. Wow. And, you know, that's kind of an eye-opening moment that, you know, people are interested, but they can't be interested if you don't provide them with the material. And so this is what you do or part of what you do now. Is that correct? Yeah, it's the it's the core of what I do. This this idea of helping someone or a family identify the stories, the traditions, the values, you know, all, all these intangibles, you know, collect those, identify those and then put them down on paper in a beautiful book that you're going to be proud to hand to your kids and grandkids, and that they will treasure and cherish for the rest of their lives. I mean, you're right. The 16-year-old may or may not be interested in family history. I mean, you know, 16-year-olds care about themselves, (laughs) which is totally normal. And only themselves. (laughs) And only themselves. But when they get older, when they have their own kid, when they become a grandparent, you bet they're going to be happy they have that book. Right, right. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking stories about one of my grandmothers that, you know, we as children heard because you know, my mother would tell these stories about her mother, but I'm thinking my kids probably haven't heard these stories. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to do some jotting. (laughs) You should. And it's so easy. I mean, of course I would love it if people hired me, but there are so many things that you can do on your own. I mean, just hit record on your phone. A story comes to mind, hit record on your phone. Just keep a little notebook and say, Oh, the story about when Tommy fell out of the tree and broke his arm, or, you know, you, look at your old photo albums and you say, oh my gosh, that's grandma so-and-so and and she did X, Y, and Z and just take notes. And then it's much easier to like get your thoughts in order because you're starting from a list. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you have on your website, by the way, is a free memoir writing worksheet. 
Yes. Okay. So, so, you know, that's probably a great place to start. If you don't know what you're doing yet, you don't know what you want to do yet, uh, go there. So tell us a little bit about what's in that worksheet and, and how you get people to start thinking about this kind of a project and then how it can evolve into a self completed project or sometimes when people know they need you. Sure. You know, writing your memoir is actually a lot of work. And I think people get discouraged because it's, um, you know, it just feels like an insurmountable project, right? We don't, very few people go to school and take a class on memoir writing. And so with big projects, any big project in my view, um, and this applies for archiving and other family projects, break it down into small pieces. So, you know, start small spend, you know, devote a couple hours to writing a story about your childhood or talking about, you know, what it was like going to school back in the day or learning to ride a bike or your first car. Um, your first car is a great one. It's easy to talk about your first car. What color was it? What model was it? Was it new? Was it used? Uh, who taught you to drive it? Was it a standard or an automatic? You know, there's so many descriptors in just talking about something like that, that give a snapshot of a point in time that doesn't exist anymore. And just to finish my thought, the just starting with a tiny little story like that is a great way to gauge whether or not you have the appetite for, you know, writing a hundred more pages. Hmm. Well, and stories, you know, there's nothing better than a story well told. Okay, yeah. and we yeah. and we all have them. It's it's uh, sometimes we have to think a little bit about them. And and I love your analogy about start small. I, I remember somebody asked me once upon a time, "How do you eat an elephant?" <laughs> and the answer is, I don't eat elephants. But, no, you know, the true answer is one bite at a time. <laughs> one bite at a time. So so uh, okay, we're unfortunately near the end of our time here. But before, oh, wow. I, I want to I want to jump in and ask Clemence to give us her website so that people oh. can access this wonderful material. Thank you for asking. So the name of the business is Memoirs and More, and the website is memoirsandmore.com. Oh, that's easy. Okay. <laughs> and more is the important part, right? <laughs> sure, that's right, because <laughs> memoirs is one part of, of your you know your story, but you can do a family history book, too. I mean, you, all these photographs and these birth certificates and these ship manifests and all the objects we have, all that stuff— scan it, photograph it. Let's make a book and include that with the stories. It makes, you know, any photo makes a story better. <laughs> well, that's and, and, for sure. And, and you know, I, I think the really, the thing that really hit, hit home with me here is that, you know, if you go back and you ask yourself the question, do I wish I knew more about my parents and grandparents and they are great grandparents? And if the answer to that is yes, then you need to write your memoir somewhere mm -hmm. along the way. And whether you do it yourself, whether you make it into a large project, whatever it is. So, uh, again, we're near the end of our time. So, uh, Clements, what what other comments do you need to make before we sign off? Well, I just say you touched on something about telling a great story. Um, that is actually one of the reasons people freeze up and are afraid to write because they feel they're not good writers or they're going to make mistakes. And, you know, the fear of the red pen is like absolutely <laughs> real. Um, but don't be too hard on yourself. No, you know, we're not getting you on the New York Times bestseller list here. That's not what this is about. It's people are going to love it because they love you. You, you know, and right. they're going to hear your voice. I mean, it's an act of love. It's a gift of love to write these things. And so that's what you should keep in mind. 
I think that really, that kind of sums it up. It, it sums it up. So uh, memoirs and more, okay. Claymont's, right? We have to pronounce your name right if we're going to work <laughs> with you, right? And, and uh, yeah, sit down and think about what you don't know about your relatives and what your kids ought to know about you, right? You got it. Great. So thanks for joining us today. And uh, Casey, why don't you sign us off and take us to next week? Uh, yes. Next week, we are going to be talking with, and the timing's perfect because it's spring, Mother Nature. So tune in because this is going to be amazing. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to help you live your life the way you want and give you what you need to make it happen. Join us next week for our next exciting topic on Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world.